We appreciate it so much. This has been a really, really busy week. Um, those of you who know our family, uh, Lorna and I went down to see her father yesterday. As you know, Lorna lost her mom several months ago, and her father, in the meantime, has had several strokes, which has affected his health. Um, please be praying for him. Be praying for Lorna, too, as the whole family has to adjust to this new reality we're living in. But we know that ahead of us lies a heaven and a, and, a, and a new body and a glorious, glorified body. And we look forward to those days, seeing her mom again and seeing her dad back in good health again. We're not there yet, though. We're on our way, right? And I know, uh, let me just be honest, man. I one thing I love about this fellowship, too, we can be honest. A lot of us right now are going through some difficult situations. I know about some of them. I don't know about all of them, I'm sure. But uh, just this morning, uh, just a, a couple of conversations I've had, there are medical issues uh, that have, a, uh, uh, have arisen in our, in our families. There are uh, family issues that are uh, creating a lot of havoc in our homes. Let me, let me just tell you one more time. We're here to help any way we can. We, there are things we can't do, and we understand that because we have a God who can work through us uh, to a degree, but there, there are things only God himself can do. And, uh, but we can keep you encouraged, and we can pray with you, and we can um, meet needs in your life as best we can, but we also understand there comes a time where we, you simply have to trust God, and we are willing to trust God with you as you walk through this part in your life. Um, God is good, and he loves you. And I don't care what you're going through this morning. You've got to keep that in the focus of your heart and mind. God is good, and he loves you. You may not like where you're at today, but where you're at today is only temporary. God's got it all worked out. We just have to stay focused on where he's taking us and what he's uh, taking us through. And he's going to get you through, I promise that. I want to share a message today, getting back to the book of Colossians this morning. Uh, we've been taking a journey through the book of Colossians. We've entitled it The Incomparable Christ. We live in a, in a culture that has, diminished, it's, has a diminished view of Christ. I'm not sure we understand who Jesus is, and I hope to somehow um, recapture uh, who Christ is and who he wants to be to us as we journey through this, our local fellowship journeys through this together. Uh, Today what I believe the Lord is leading me to do is just to share a simple gospel message with you because that's what Paul does in, 1 Corinthians, in excuse me, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. He simply shares a simple gospel message reminding those Colossian believers what Christ has done for us and how he has reconciled us back to God. And I want us to be clear about what the gospel is and I want us to be clear about what Christ has done for us and I want to be clear about our response to that should be. The Bible primarily uses five different terms or concepts to help us fully understand this glorious salvation that's been offered to us in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to give you a, a really quick two-minute uh, uh, lesson on soteriology. Say that with me, soteriology. That's a $64 word that's not worth very much. It's talking about the doctrine of salvation. Here we go. Five ways the Bible presents to us this idea of salvation to help us understand what it is and what it means and how it impacts our lives and how it's changed everything. 
The Bible uses a, a phrase called justification. Justification. Justification means that the sinner stands before God as the accused, but in Christ is declared righteous, not guilty, innocent. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty good to me because I've done some pretty lousy things in my life. Plenty that God could condemn me for, but yet when he looks at me, he sees me as innocent, just as if I'd never sinned. I love Jesus for that. Redemption is another image that's given to us. Redemption means that the sinner stands before God as a slave to sin, but in Christ is granted freedom because a ransom's been paid for his freedom. We're no longer slaves to sin, amen? There's a power at work in us that frees us from bondage to sin. A third uh, picture that we're given, a concept, is this concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness means that a sinner stands before God as a debtor. Anybody owe money? Owe lots and lots of money to somebody, and you don't know how in the world right now you're going to be able to repay it? I know there's some of you out there. We've had those conversations too. Well, forgiveness means that we as sinners stand before God as a debtor. We owe him a moral debt that we could never repay. And yet in Christ, this debt has been paid in full for us so that we are not only forgiven of that debt, but now God says, I've forgotten that you ever owed it to me in the first place. Woo! A fourth image term that we're given is reconciliation. Reconciliation means that the sinner stands before God as an enemy. But now in Christ, we are made the friends of God. And we enjoy peace with God. And through that peace, we can experience peace with our fellow men. And sometimes even better, peace inside ourselves. A fifth term, adoption. Adoption means that the sinner stands before God as a stranger, but now in Christ is made a child of God, a son and a daughter of God. Can you imagine that? How many of you know that relationship makes all the difference? If a little kid walked up to you in Walmart and says, hey, buy me that Hershey bar, you'd say, kid, I don't know who you are. Go find your mama. But if your son or your daughter walked up to you and said, Daddy, Mommy, would you buy me this Hershey bar? Well, you know, a doting parent would say, of course. Let me throw that up on the counter and buy that for you because you are my, listen, relationship makes all the difference. When we approach the throne of God, we don't come to him as a stranger. We approach that throne as his son and as his daughter. That makes all the difference. So those of you who are in need today, let me remind you, approach that throne with confidence, knowing that he cares for you. You're no stranger to God. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're no stranger to God. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He knows what you need. And he is a loving heavenly father, and he will meet that need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. This is the glorious gospel. These five concepts kind of sum up this glorious gospel that we've been given in Christ Jesus, and that is good news. It's good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. You see, you and I once stood before God as the accused, but now he looks at us and declares us righteous. We once stood before God as slaves to sin, but now we have received freedom 
in the name of Jesus. We stood before God as debtors, but God has forgiven us, and he has forgotten that debt. We once stood before God as his enemies, but now God has made us his friends. We once stood before God as strangers, but now he looks at us, and he calls us his children. That's good news. That's good news. In Colossians 1, 21 through 23, Paul reminds us of this gospel. What Paul is trying to get across to us is that Jesus is enough. We don't have to add anything to Jesus to receive all the benefits that flow from this salvation he has provided for us through his death. We don't need to add anything to it. Jesus is enough. We have experienced all of this in Christ Jesus, but he, in, in, this, in these three verses, Paul focuses on one idea and one idea alone, this concept of reconciliation, that we have been, we who were once enemies of God have now been made friends of God. Paul focuses on this idea of reconciliation. So I want us to focus on this one idea or term that helps us get hold of what salvation is. Because this is the gospel message that we have to understand. And this is the gospel message that we have to accept and we have to embrace it for ourselves in order to experience its power. This is the gospel message that you and I are called to pass on to other people. This is it. This is it. All the other stuff, it's good. Having a better marriage, having better relationships, having better finances, that's all good and that's all part and parcel of, of submitting to God. But this is the message. We've got to get this. If we don't get this, we don't get any of the rest of it. Right? So follow me here, all right? Stay with me. Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now, I love that, but now. That means everything's changed. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If, say that with me, there's a condition. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your mercy and your grace, and I thank you, God, that you have provided a means, a way, a path for our salvation. Father, we all stand, we all are in this room today, and each of us are, are looking to you today from our own perspective, from our own worldview, from our own experiences, and I pray today, God, that you would help us to lay aside that lens that might corrupt our view of who you are and what you've done, that lens that might poison the truth of it, that might affect the view of it. I pray, Jesus, that we would be able to take that worldview lens off and let you speak to us through your word. Spirit of God, use this message today to, to clarify this gospel message and to focus our minds and our hearts on what's most important living a life of complete surrender to you thank you for this word 
get me out of your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to be real simple, going to be real short. Verse 21 basically tells us that by nature we are enemies of God. By nature, you and I are enemies of God. The Bible says that God created us in His image so that we could enjoy a loving relationship with Him. But verse 21 reminds us that somewhere along the way, something went drastically wrong with God's plan. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. We were created to be in a loving relationship with God, and yet somehow we have all become enemies of God. We were made to be his friends, but instead each of us has lived and may even still be living as the enemies of God, opposed to him, opposed to his purposes, opposed to his plans. How does this happen? How does it, how does it happen that, we, that, that our, our lives have become so twisted that we who were created to be friends of God have instead become his enemies? Well, verse 21 also gives us a clue here. Our opposition to God. Our opposition to God begins right up here in our minds. Our opposition to God begins in our minds. We didn't consider him to be important. We didn't take him into account as we went about our lives. We, we lived for ourselves. We did what we wanted. We never, ever gave God a thought at all. We just did it. I mean, maybe we had heard of him. Maybe we had heard of it, maybe, maybe we had sat in church services or in Sunday school and kids' church, and maybe we had heard of God, but somehow, because of the, uh, of the hostility in our mind, we, 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 we thought that God was some kind of cosmic killjoy who was just out to, to, to take all of the, 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 the fun out of our lives, and he would ruin us if we listened to him. Or, or maybe, maybe we even claimed to believe in him. We claim to believe in God, but we lived our lives as if he didn't exist at all. We didn't accept that one day we would see him face to face and give an account for ourselves. We, we just went ahead and did what we wanted to do. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, guess what? Satan believes in God too. It's, it, it begins here. It begins in our minds, and it, it's this this inner alienation from God, it's this inner hostility toward God which leads to all this outwardly evil behavior. It's this hostility toward God in our mind that always somehow finds its natural expression in evil words and evil deeds. And What evil words and what evil deeds? Man, I ain't guilty of none of that. Yeah, okay. Lying. Gossip. Complaining. Arguing. Cheating. Stealing. Sexual immorality. Shall I go on? Murder. If I were to ask if you had any of you ever engaged in any of those kinds of activities, how many of you would raise your hands, honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Now, we, we have tried all kinds of ways to defend our actions, to defend our evil behavior. We, have, we, we, we try all kinds of, of ways to justify ourselves and 
maybe you have tried some of these methods for yourself. Denial. I never did any of that stuff. I never said that. Man, I was never that bad. Diversion. You know, you want to throw it off on somebody else. You got no right to judge me. <laughs> Yesterday, we were driving, uh, no, it was Friday night. We were driving south on 231. And there's a little barbecue restaurant just south of Montgomery, in between Montgomery and Troy. And on the sign it says, voted best barbecue. Voted best barbecue. And then the sign, you know those little white, white portable signs, said, you've got no right to judge me. Exactly, that, that was my thought. <laughs> Voted best barbecue, you got no right to judge me. Somebody judged that they were best barbecue, right? But you got no right to judge me. We have that mentality. We want to be judged as long as the judgment turns out in our favor, but don't judge me. If I've screwed it up, diversion. You ain't got no right to judge me. Man, you're as bad as I am. Does that make you good? <laughs> Everybody's doing it. Come on, parents, you've heard that one before. And you're going to hear this one. It was my parents' fault. Repression. Don't want to assign any value to it, negative or positive. I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go back there and dredge all that stuff up again. I guarantee you, the ones you did it to, they're living in it right now. And the harm you've done is still there until you do something about it. Rationalization. <laughs> At least I never did that. Actually, this is a criticism that's been leveled at this church. Get this one. A lady that went through our Celebrate Recovery program here struggled with cocaine for many, many years. And, uh, and the Lord helped her uh, overcome that addiction. And she was telling her son about Celebrate Recovery and about Christian Life Fellowship. And her son had had several charges with marijuana, with pot. And he looked at her and he said, why would I want to go to that crackhead church? Because you're a pothead? I mean, does a, is, is, a, is a pothead somehow better than a crackhead? I don't get that value judgment, but don't judge me. You know, we rationalize it, man. You know what I'm saying? It's, we're nuts. They had it coming. They had it coming. Some of us are still saying, I had it coming. Or we, we, we're good about renaming it in our culture. In our effort not to judge anybody, we're now calling sexual immorality friends with benefits. Shacking up. We're, you know, people don't lie anymore. They embellish the truth. They pad the resume. They still get fired, but... Don't judge me! No, you're just stupid. Greed becomes, this is really good, this is Christian circles. Greed becomes seeking God's abundance. I'm just seeking God's abundance. 
I'll do whatever it takes to get it. Gossip becomes, I'm just sharing my concerns. They call them prayer circles in some churches. And divisiveness becomes, hey man, I'm just speaking the truth as I see it. I don't care how we try to justify ourselves. I don't care how we try to defend our evil behavior. The reality is this, we are still all enemies of God. When we engage in behavior like that, it says there is something on the inside that is hostile toward God. We don't want any part of him. We don't want him telling us what to do. We don't want to surrender to him. He's our enemy. It, it, it starts here, and then it flows out here, and boy, you can see it everywhere. You can see it everywhere in our actions, in our attitudes, in our, in our words. Listen, there's no defense for it. There's no defense for it. We, have, we violate his commands. We have done irreparable damage to ourselves and to others. In our thinking and in our behavior, we are all enemies of God. Now, to some of you are thinking to yourself, man, that sounds really harsh. Don't judge me. That sounds really harsh. It even really sounds cruel, man. You're putting me down. Don't put me down. Listen, God himself is the one who renders this judgment. You can read it in Psalm 14. Listen to what Psalm 14 has to say. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Listen, we're all guilty of being the enemies of God. And I don't know how that makes you feel. And I don't know what goes through your mind as you consider the reality that at one, at one time, if maybe still, you were considered an enemy of God. I don't know how, that, how, that, how you're you know, dealing with that right now, but I can t does it humble you? Does it humble you? Does it frighten you? That the God of the universe would look at you and say, that's no friend of mine. Does it does it disturb you? Does it harden your heart toward God? Or does it move you to a deeper level of surrender? Does it make you want to throw yourselves at his feet and beg for mercy? I don't know. People deal with it in different ways. There's a long time ago, the Times of London the newspaper posed a question to its readers, and it asked, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And a man named G.K. Chesterton replied, I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Listen, this is where the gospel starts. This is where the gospel starts. This is the starting point of the gospel. We have to recognize that by nature we are the enemies of God. Now, we would like to defend ourselves and rationalize that away, but the reality is you and I are enemies of God. We have to understand that, uh, that, that we desperately need someone to rescue us from this miserable condition. We have to admit we need somebody to be our Savior. The gospel starts by recognizing who you really are. You're an enemy to God. You're not his friend. But this is where the mercy of God is revealed to us. And this is where his grace comes alive to us. This is where God himself steps in, and he has planned for us the rescue. This is what verse 22 goes on to say. God, in his mercy, 
has planned our rescue. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We once were enemies of God, but now God has put in place a plan that reconciles us back to him, a plan that changes us, transforms us from enemies to friends. And I want to unpack this verse, if we, if, if we can, uh, phrase by phrase. It, it begins by saying it this way, but now, and I love that, because but now means there's a complete turn that's, that's happening here. But now he has reconciled you. I want you to notice who took the initiative. Who took the initiative in this process of reconciliation? He did. He has reconciled you. God is the one who has reached out to us. We were the ones that created the mess, but God said, you know what? I'm going to be the one that provides the pathway back. God is the one who has provided for us this rescue plan that will take us from being his enemies to being his friends. How? By Christ's physical body through death. By Christ's physical body through death. God became man so that he could represent us as he hung upon that cross. God became man so he could be our substitute. God became man so that he could pay the penalty for our rebellion, for our sin, through his death. Listen, that wasn't some kind of divine apparition hanging on that cross. That was a man who felt the pain and the suffering of that, of, of that death. He felt the stripes upon his back. He felt the, the crown of thorns being pressed upon his head. He felt the weight of all the sins of the world. He was a man just like us, with a physical body. And he went to that cross and died the, the, the penalty that we, he paid the penalty that we should have paid. He died the death that we should have died. 2 Corinthians 5 says, that, says it this way, For God made Christ who never sinned, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right through Christ. You see, when Christ gave his life for us on the cross, at that moment, a door was opened up for us to be made right with him, to be made, to be reconciled, to be transformed from enemies of God into, into the friends of God. Christ opened that door for us so that he could, verse 22 goes on to say, present you holy in his sight. To present you holy in his sight. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. I, 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 want, to dry, I want you to get this. Christ didn't die on that cross so that we could simply escape hell. Christ died on that cross to make us holy. Christ died on that cross to make us holy. Holy means that God wants us set apart for his glory. That means that God wants to make us completely his, inside and out. God's design here is not just to help us escape the punishment of hell. God's design here is to make us holy, setting us apart for his glory. What that means is this. As we walk upon the earth, he's not done with us yet. He has a job and an agenda for us to follow. If all he wanted to do was to help us escape the punishment of hell, 
then as soon as we said that little sinner's prayer, what would he have done? Boo! But what does he do? He leaves us here on earth because he has a job for us to do. It's called the Great Commission, by the way. We talked about it last week, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. He is going to use us in a special way. He is going to set us apart for his glory to make his name great upon the earth without blemish. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Two powerful little words, without blemish. He doesn't know me very well. I'm full of blemishes, defects, weaknesses. But imagine, this is God's plan. Without blemish, no more defects, no more weaknesses, no more sin. God intends us, he intends to make us perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. His goal is to completely transform our lives, conforming us to the image of, of Jesus without blemish and free from accusation. And get it, God has declared you innocent. All those rebellious activities that you have engaged in in the past, all those ways you took your puny little fist and pointed it and held it up to him and said, not me, God, not me. All those times where you literally trashed his name, free from accusation. It's all gone. Even the devil now can't get up on your shoulder and start whispering to you, don't you remember what you did back? All you got to do is say, whoa, 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 Romans 8, 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? You shut up, devil. Shut up. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with him. Listen, we are free from accusation. Corey Tinboom puts it, puts it this way. Jesus takes your sin, past, present, and future, dumps it in the ocean, and puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. I like that. Free from accusation. Maybe some of us need to stop accusing ourselves. That self-talk can be pretty dangerous once it gets out of hand. You're free from accusation once you put your trust in Christ. There's no need to go fishing anymore. God's mercy has provided for us a rescue plan. And my question, I guess, for you guys today is, have you accepted this plan for yourself? Have you realized that the payment that Christ made on that cross, he made for you personally? I'm not talking about just having an intellectual awareness of it. Have you embraced that, th this truth that Christ paid the penalty for you personally? Stop thinking of it in terms of all mankind. Oh, he did that for Mark. He did that for good people. I just put Mark and good people in the same. That's wrong. <laughs> he did that for you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I don't care how many times you shook your little puny little fist at God and said, not me, leave me alone. I don't care how wicked you think your past is. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for you. Would you say that he died for me? He died for me. He paid the price for me. I no longer have to be considered an enemy of God. I can be a friend of God through Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. That's the reality. The price he paid, he paid for you. 
His mercy provides for us a rescue plan. Have you turned from your rebellion and have you placed your trust in Christ to save you? If you are going to receive this reconciliation for yourself personally, then you must personally turn from your rebellion and begin to trust in Christ. Our problem is we want reconciliation with God, but we don't want to give up the rebellion. It doesn't work very well, does it? That's why so many of us find ourselves trying to straddle a fence. You can't straddle a fence for very long. You're going to hurt yourself. You've got to make up your mind. Jesus, Jesus said it this way. I'd rather have you hot or cold, but if you stay lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Our problem is we want, to, we want recon, to be reconciled with God, but we're not willing to give up our rebellion to do it. You can't have both. You can't say that with me. You can't have both. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life or choose death. There's no in between here, guys. Our problem is in this culture, we want to have both. It doesn't work that way. And that's exactly what verse 23 goes on to say. If you continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, is Paul telling us that we can only be reconciled to God by really working hard for it? Absolutely not. We're saved by grace through faith. We need to understand this, that salvation is through and through, from start to finish, the work of God in our life. It's God who planned our rescue. It's God who paid the penalty for our sins. And it's God who will see our rescue through to its conclusion. So we don't have to work for it, but what we have to do is this. We need to remain committed to it. We have to remain committed to God and His plan in order to enjoy the plan's fulfillment. Belief in Christ requires us to stick with Christ. Let me say that again. Belief in Christ requires us to stick with Christ. Even when the process seems too long. Even when the, pro the progress comes along too slowly. Even when we don't see any immediate reward. Belief in Christ demands that we stay fully committed to Him no matter the cost, no matter the inconvenience. Let me remind you what Hebrews 10.36 says. You need to persevere. There's a word we don't like to hear. Persevere sounds painful. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Are you telling me, Mark, that perseverance and promises go together? I am telling you exactly that. Perseverance and fulfillment of promises go hand in hand. The problem with many of us is we get started, we just don't like to finish what we start. And can I remind you of this? It doesn't matter how you start, what matters is how you finish. You have to be in this race for the long haul to win the prize. Nobody gets a prize for finishing halfway through. Go talk to those Olympic athletes about that. We have to remain committed to Christ if we're going to experience the fulfillment of His plan and His promises. 
Listen, it's one thing to profess faith with your lips. It's another thing to possess faith in your heart. It's one thing to profess faith with your lips. And we have plenty of those in the world today. But it's another thing altogether to profess faith or to possess faith in your heart. It's one thing to say a sinner's prayer at an altar, but it's another thing to get up from that altar and stay faithful to God throughout the week. It's one thing to get baptized in water on a Sunday morning, but it's another thing to live for God the following Monday morning. It's a lot like marriage, guys. It's a lot like marriage. It's one thing to make a vow of commitment in a wedding ceremony to your spouse. But then you have to go home with one another and live it out every day. Love is patient. Love is kind. What? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Huh? You said it at your wedding, but you're not going to live it out every day? Listen, the church is the bride of Christ, right? Now, here's the good news. The church is the bride of Christ. So even when we are faithless, he is faithful, and he keeps his promises to us, right? He sticks with us through thick and thin. Our problem is, as his bride, we tend to quit on him. We jump ship. We fail to remain committed to him and to do what we know we need to do to build this relationship and develop this relationship we have with him so we never get to experience the life that he intends us to have and enjoy. And then, you know, what happens, typical human nature, when we don't experience what God has promised us because we're the ones that have proven unfaithful in this relationship, what do we tend to do? Blame God. Because we're enemies of God. That, that's the way, that's, that's our default. Our default is to oppose God, to blame him for the stuff that we created and the mess we've, we've done. Listen, guys, I, I want you to understand something, and I'm talking straight to some of you who are straddling fences, and you know who you are, and I'm not passing judgment, maybe I am, on anybody. <laughs> This is between you and the Holy Spirit. This is between you and the Lord. You've got to make up your mind whose side you're on. Are you going to be a friend of the world or are you going to be a friend of God? If you're a friend of the world, the Bible says you're his enemy. If that's a choice you make. And I guarantee you this, if you're a friend of God, you're going to be an enemy to the world. Salvation. Listen to me carefully because we have bought into a whole pack of lies when it comes to salvation, I believe, in, in the American church today. Salvation is not found in a prayer. And salvation is not found in water baptism. And salvation is not found in church membership. And those are good things. And I encourage you to do all of those things. But you're not going to find salvation in those things. Salvation is found in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in a committed personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship in which he leads and we follow. A relationship in which we yield control of every part of our life to him. Because every part of our life unyielded to him is still in opposition to him and will never experience his favor. Or his promises. 
Does that make sense? Every area of our life, as he reveals it to us, needs to be laid down on the altar and sacrificed as an act of surrender to him. And if we don't, those become areas of our life that will continue to drag us down and tear us up. He's going to be Lord of all, or he's not going to be Lord at all. Surrender. Surrender is at the heart of the salvation that we've been offered in Christ Jesus. Surrender. A personal, committed relationship with Jesus. Listen, just because you're sober doesn't mean you're saved. It's a good thing to be sober. It's a better thing by far to be saved. Verse 23 closes this way. We're going to share communion in just a minute. I'm going to ask uh, Bill and Steve, if they would, to come and the band to come back up on the stage. We're going to share communion. Verse 23 closes by saying this. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's this gospel that turns enemies of God into friends. We have to recognize that by nature, I am an enemy of God. In, in, in my human nature, my default is to be opposed to God, opposed to His plans, opposed to His commands. And that expresses itself in evil outward behavior. What does the Bible say? From the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. By nature, you and I are enemies of God, but God has put in place a plan of rescue. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, He has opened the door for you and I to be reconciled to God. But what that means is I must turn my back on rebellion and turn my back on those, on opposing God, and turn my mind and heart toward God so that He can have His perfect way in me. That means each and every day I must offer myself as a living sacrifice to God, Romans 12:1, and offer up to Him this body as a living sacrifice. It's the only reasonable response to His mercy. I must remain committed to Him. Faithful, personal relationship. Yes, when I stumble and when I fall, and it will happen. And, and, and He convicts me of that, and He shows me how I've strayed. He shows me how I've fallen. That's when I need to turn back to Him again and say, Lord, I confess. 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That indicates a heart of surrender. Our problem is, many of us in this room, many of us in this country, many of us in this world, we want to hang on to our rebellion and yet feel like we're reconciled with God. It doesn't work that way. Don't buy that lie. It's only through surrender. It's only through surrender that we're made the friends of God. I love what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller said this Christ, the, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed 
that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. I don't, it doesn't matter where you're at right now. You need to understand this above everything else. God loves you. You may still be in your rebellion. You may still be shaking your little fist in the face of God, telling him, I won't and you can't make me. But I assure you of this, God loves you still. And he offers to you reconciliation. He offers to make you his friend. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still in our rebellion, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. So as we begin to pass out these elements, the bread and the juice, here's what I'd like you to do this morning. I'd like you to consider where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Have you still got your puny little fists raised toward God? Are you still daring him? Are you still opposed to him? If you are, I want you to consider what Christ did for you. He died for you. You don't have to be an enemy of God. He wants to make you his friend. But you've got to give up your rebellion. You've got to place your trust in Christ. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. Or maybe you're in this place and you've already let your hands drop. And you realize how futile it is to fight against Almighty God. You've been taken to the bottom and you've been broken and you recognize that He's your only hope, your only source for rescue. Well, I, I encourage you to examine your heart as you take these elements today and ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there remains in you unyielded parts of your life. Are there still parts of your life you're trying to hang on to? If so, as you take these elements, I encourage you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to let go to let God have his way in you, to let God do in you what he wants to do. Let him have control of every area of your life, not just parts of it, not just bits and pieces of it, but every area of your life so that his plan can be fulfilled.